How many of you have one of these? Good. How many of you rely on the phone that you carry and you pop it up on your phone and that's what you go by? Because this is good. I mean, those are good. I'm not saying that. But you need to get one of these. Someday they're going to take that phone and goof it up. And you know what? They can't take this one. They might come for it, but you can hide it. That phone, they can, someday they're going to take that. They're going to goof up all those programs. That thing that you rely on to, to get your, your Bible on there, next you know it's gone or changed or whatever. Get one of these. You can pick whatever version you, you like. That's, that's great. But get one of these. It's so much more secure, I think. I, they asked me if I would speak, and I was thinking about this for a long time. I thought, what are you going to speak on? And then I thought about Jesus' words to us. Um, in Luke 17, he says, as it was in the days of Noah, so it shall it be in the, in the end. And, and so I thought about that. Well, what was it like in the days of Noah then? What was it like? And I, I started to look at some of that stuff. Wow, it was scary times. The flood happened in the days of Noah, and you guys all know that. You can take it. Pass it back. Have, let people have a look at it. It just so happens these come from the farm. Now, our farm is uh, the starting point of three different branches, of, no, two different branches of the Otter Creek, and one goes off the Thames uh, watershed, so the Thames Valley, Thames River watershed, that's just a few farms down. The water from that farm goes down to wherever it goes, St. Clair Lake, I think, Lake St. Clair, which means our farm is up in elevation in, in Norwich Township, not the highest spot, not the highest spot, but one of the high spots. And the water always runs down, right? So that means it's got to be one of the highest spots. When we go out to till our field, and this is this not unusual, we can find sometimes these rocks. These rocks, and these rocks have fossil-like images in them. The one I think you can find, it, there's a little spot, it's tiny, a little bit bigger than my thumbnail, but it looks like either the fin of a fish or, or a shell. And, and when I find these things in the field, it's like, where'd that come from? I know it wasn't the curator of a museum who was just out there trying to goof me up and putting these rocks out there to confuse me. I know it wasn't that, or I'm pretty sure that's not the case. But I'm pretty sure that it came from some... And, and they tell me that fossils are only made from a big traumatic instance where a lot of water comes up a lot of soil and buries it in there whatever the, the thing may be. I don't know exactly what these, what you're looking at. I, I'm not an expert on fossils or whatever. I don't know what you look, but I know it looks like strange rocks. There's fossil-like material in those rocks. Having said that, I'm going to read from Genesis 6. I'm going to read Genesis 6, 1 to 13, and then we'll, we'll look at some thoughts from there. So Genesis 6, 1 to 13, it says, And it came to pass... When men began to multiply on the earth, on the face of the earth, and daughters were born unto them, that the sons of God saw the sons, daughters of men, that they were fair, and they took them wives of all which they chose. And the Lord said, My spirit shall not always strive with men, 
For that he is also flesh, yet his days shall be 120 years. There were giants in the earth in those days, and also afterward. When the sons of God came in unto the daughters of men, and bare children unto them, the same became mighty men, which were of old men of renown. And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And it repented the Lord that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him at his heart. And the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast and the creeping thing and the fowls of the air, for it repenteth me that I have made them. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a just man and perfect in his generation. And Noah walked with God. And Noah begat three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. The earth also was corrupt before God, and the earth was filled with violence. And the Lord looked upon the earth, and lo, behold, it was corrupt. For all flesh had corrupted its way upon the earth. And God said unto Noah, The end of all flesh is come before me, for the earth is filled with violence through them. And behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Genesis 6, 1-4. This can be a passage that, you know what, the scholars don't agree on. There's, there's all kinds of different thoughts. And, and usually it's so, I don't know, it's so taboo, I think, that they just detour around it. And they'll tell you the, the flood story. But they'll leave out verses 1 to 4. They won't say much about that. They'll just run away from that. And I thought, what? well, it's, it's there. It's there for a reason. Um, we need to learn from what's in God's word. Um, so I thought, I'll, I'll take a look at it. And I, I've been looking at that for a long time. After the fall of man in Genesis 3, chapter 4 tells us that Adam and Eve had children. And, and you notice that chapter 6 starts with the word and. And the scholars all said, you know what? When the word and starts something, that means there was something before that you have to look at. So that's why I'm going to back up a little bit and look a little bit more at the, the history of what's going on before that. Um, we're going to look a teeny bit at um, what happened in the genealogies that we have. Um, so there we go. It's, it, chapter 4 tells us that Adam and Eve had children. It tells us the story of Cain and Abel. And it contains the line of Cain, chapter 4 does. It gives us five generations in the line of Cain. Um, from Cain to the last generation that they're going to talk about was Lamech. And Lamech, we are told, is the first man to have two wives. That's the first one that did that. Um, we're to also told um, of the three sons that Lamech had, one of them, started to, he was the father of those that had cattle. So he was, he was the one that invented having cattle and husbandry of cows and, and livestock. Um, the second one was able to play instruments. So it calls it the, in the King James Version the harp and the organ, which is translated to the lyre and the flute. So they, they were like you, John. They played instruments. They were good at it. They're they experts in their field. Um, and the last son said could work with brass and iron. So he became skilled to work with iron and brass. And we don't always think about those first early people being really skilled with anything, but these three guys were. And they're 
the generations after them. Not exactly the ape men that were told that they were. <laughs> Came and talked with Cain. Um, we should also note one other thing in the line of Cain. The line of Cain, we don't have in great detail. It's very vague. It's, it just says those five generations that were born after him. When you look at the line of Seth, it's going to be a little different. But the one thing that it does do in the line of Cain, after it mentions those three sons at, from Lamech, it mentions one girl by name that was born, uh, Naomah. The only, only time a female is mentioned in the line of Cain, other than the wives of some of the, the guys, in that, the patriarch guys in that lineage. Genesis 5 tells us the genealogy from Adam to Noah. And there's a pattern that is used that goes like this, um, for instance. And Adam lived 130 years and begat a son in his own likeness after his image and called his name Seth. And the days of Adam after he had begotten Seth were 800 years and he begat sons and daughters. All the days of that Adam lived were 930 years and he died. And that's kind of the pattern that they use. So-and-so was so old and they begat this son. They lived so many years after that. They had sons and daughters and then they were so old when they died. And that's the pattern that keeps on going. But you notice that it mentions they had sons and daughters for Seth. And it didn't do that for, for Cain. That's an interesting thing to me. Um, except when you get to Enoch. And of course we know Enoch didn't die. So that's the exception there. Both family trees give us the, the account of how the people were multiplying on the earth. That's what we can take from there. And so when Genesis 6 starts off with and, it's connecting us to those previous chapters and previous thoughts of how men were multiplying on the earth. And I would say it was both. It was all of them and more. Whoever was there giving birth and having children, I'd say it's connected to them. Not all the, not all the scholars say that, though. Some of the scholars say this part was connected to just Seth, this part was just connected to Cain. I, I find that hard. I, I, I think I differ. Um, so Genesis 6, 1 starts with and. And it came to pass. You could say, and so it happened. Or this is the way it happened. It's not just a story. It's not like a, a, a fairy tale. Um, once upon a time, no. It's, it, Jesus, uh, God is giving us a scripture and he's saying, this is how it happened. And it came to pass. And like I said, it talks of men who multiplied on the earth and daughters born to them. Verse, verse, the first four sixes of, or first four chap, verses of chapter six are usually passed over quickly. And I think it's not so much because they can't be understood, but more because it's weird. It's strange. Um, and maybe a bit uncomfortable for a lot of people. It gives us two groups of people. It gives us the sons of God, and it gives us the daughters of men. Well, who are these people? And I don't think that's hard to figure out if you, if you let the Bible do it for you. Um, the sons of God, the name given for that in, in the Hebrew is Bene Ha Elohim. Um, it's used here in Genesis 6, verse 2. It's used in Job 1, verse 6. Used again, Job 2, verse 1. And the last time is Job 38, verse 7. And it's always referring to, in the Old Testament, to angels. That's just 
the way it is. It's always referred to as angels. The ancient people understood it that way, not just the Jews, the ancient people. Um, all the way up to Jesus' day and after that, um, up to the 4th century A.D., I'm told. And so that when Peter's writing in, in 2 Peter 2, 4 and 5, he says, For if God spared not the angels that sinned, but cast them down to hell, and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved unto judgment, and spared not the old world, but saved Noah, the eighth person, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood upon the world of the ungodly. Peter connects the angels that sinned with the flood. It's simple. Jude does the same thing. Jude 6 says this, And the angels which kept not their first estate, but left their own habitation, he hath reserved in everlasting chains unto darkness, unto the judgment of the great day. Um, you'll find it in the Dead Sea Scrolls, the Genesis Apocryphon, the Septuagint, the Codex Alexandrius. Angels is the meaning in the, in the Hebrew Bible as well. Some will say, and I came across scholars that would say, that men are called the sons of God. And that is true. That is true. But it's never the same wording. Um, it's always different. In Deuteron as in Deuteronomy 4, it's, you, Atem, are sons, Benem, of the Lord Yahweh, your God, Elohim. So it's different wording than, than the first one. Um, and like I said, the ancient people believed it meant angels all the way to the 4th century when St. Augustine came up with a different idea that it was the line of Seth. Um, the problem with that is, being the line of Seth, Seth wasn't always, the line of Seth wasn't always godly. And it came up to be that many in the line of Seth practiced idolatry. Um, and the line of Seth, if, Darren, do you have that many, the other one, the other picture, can you put that one up there? This shows that really clearly. If you look at that, the orange one in the middle is Noah. So this is kind of cool when I looked at this. I, I went through the lineages and I didn't, wasn't smart enough to think, hey, somebody has done this already. I went through and I started adding up all the dates and making a chart of my own. Mine went straight up and down. And I came to the idea that most of these guys were gone by the time the flood happened. But the neat thing is, if you look at Adam, Adam was alive still when Noah's dad was there. That's a cool thing I didn't really think about, didn't spend a lot of time thinking about it. Only Enoch, Enoch missed the birth of Noah, um, but so many of them were alive till Noah's day. I just thought it was cool. And they had all passed before the flood started. Noah was the only one alive in that lineage that was going to go through the waters of the flood from the patriarchs. I mean, there, there were grandchildren that would have been around and other people, but those patriarchs, those original people in the lineage of Adam to Noah, those main ones had all passed, I think right up to the last one, Methuselah and Lamech, Lamech passed away in the year of the flood is what the, the scholars say. So I thought that was kind of cool. That's kind of neat to notice that. Ezekiel says this, Ezekiel 18 says this, the soul who sins shall die. The son shall not suffer for the iniquity of the father, nor the father suffer for the iniquity of the son. The righteousness of the righteous shall be upon himself, 
and the wickedness of the wicked shall be upon himself. So in order for somebody to say, well, the godly line of Seth is this, I had struggled with that because you can't, this one says you can't just call the whole line godly because four people in that line were godly. Each man is godly because of the way they lived, the way they believed God, the way they trusted God. Um, next part. So who are the daughters of man? Some would have said, well, that was only the daughters of Cain. I looked at that. I thought, well, that's strange. Seeing as only one is mentioned, and there's so many daughters of, of Seth's line mentioned, uh, that, that seems unlikely. And I, I think and, the word and itself, joins chapter 6 with the whole thing that went before, not just half of the lineages. I think it joins it with all of them. So when it says, and men began to multiply on the face of the earth, I think it's not just one line of man, I think it's the whole race of man that it's talking about. And I think we can be very confident on that. And so they looked on these fallen angels, is what the word of God seems to say, looked on the daughters of men, that they were fair. And it says, they took them wives of all which they chose. And, and if you don't like that, I mean, if you're confident that it's, that it's the line of Seth, these godly men that looked on this um, ungodly line of Cain, and so there was this thing of mixing of marriages. Even in that, it says that they took wives of all whom they chose. They had a messed up version of marriage going on there. They chose as many as they want, as often as they want. And, and there was no one stopping them from doing that. Um, and God said that was messed up. He says, my spirit shall not always strive with men. And in Genesis chapter 6, verse 3, and he sets the clock. Where it says in Genesis 6, verse 3, um, yet his days shall be 120 years. We often look at that and think, God's giving men a lifespan, but that's not what it's saying. That's God saying, starting from now, you got 120 years, and then I'm bringing a flood. And he did. It also says that there were giants in the land in those days, and also afterwards. And, and there are scholars that would say this. There were giants in the land in those days, in the days that the sons of God looked on the daughters of men. But when we look at this whole passage together, what's it talking about? If I said to you, Noah, what comes to mind? Flood, the time of the flood. When I say to you, Noah, you don't, you don't think the time when the angels came down or when the, this whole thing happened before the flood. You don't think that. You think the age is the flood age. And so when it says in those days, I believe it means in, in the age of the flood and also afterwards. So that explains where the giants would have come from possibly in David's day or any time after that. Um, and they became men of renown. It's interesting. Uh, we're okay with other cultures and people have, and groups having stories about the flood, even stories that differ and are strange. But when it comes to other groups, because there are, the Greeks, the Romans, the Egyptians, Oriental groups, there's groups in North and South America that have these giant legends, legends of giants in their land. And with that, we're uncomfortable. 
it's okay when they say, you know what, we, the whole world has these flood stories. That, that collaborates what we believe about the flood. They're mixed up a little bit. They got things a little bit, their, their details are a little bit mixed up. But when the, when the world says, hey, you know what, we've got giant stories. The Greeks had their giants. The Romans had their giants. The Oriental guys had their giants. The Egyptians had their giants. And ah, that's, that's all, that's mythology. That's weird stuff. Let's stay away from that. And they called them gods. I, I understand that. They called them gods that when their stories are told, and I wouldn't, I wouldn't go there. They weren't gods. I know that. Um, and that's tough stuff. That's the tough stuff tonight. That's the stuff I didn't want to detour around just because I wanted to get to the story of Noah and the flood. That's the weird stuff. <laughs> um, Genesis 6 verse 5 says this, And God saw the wickedness of man was great in the earth. Every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Imagine. No, don't. Don't. But every thought of that men were thinking in their hearts, evil. All their thoughts, only evil. And men were thinking this way continuously, all the time. That's a sad picture of the way it was. That is a very sad picture of the way it was. A sad picture of the depravity of men, I wrote. Jeremiah 17, verse 9 says this, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Well, we know God can know it. Psalms 53, and I, it was amazing because I looked up some of these things, and Psalm 53 is the same as Psalm 14 until you get to the end. If you're reading them side by side, they read the same until the last few verses, then there's some slight differences. But it says this, The fool hath said in his heart, There is no God. Corrupt are they, and they have done abominable abominable iniquity. There is none that doeth good. God looked down from heaven upon the children of men to see if there were any that did understand, that did seek God. Every one of them has gone back. They are all together become filthy. There is none that doeth good, no, not one. We come to Genesis 6, 6, and it says, And the Lord, it repented the Lord that he had made man on the earth. It grieved his heart. It paid him, pained him. Their sin had caused him so much sorrow that it ached. He ached in his, in his heart. And the Lord makes this proclamation in seven verse 7, that he will destroy the earth and the life on it. And then we get to that verse 8. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And verse 9, Noah was a just man, perfect in his generation, and he walked with God. One person that I came across, one teacher, said Noah was the only one found worthy to escape the judgment of God. But I think, no, that's not the way it was. Because it says Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Noah wasn't worthy. Noah was not worthy. He found grace. He found unmerited favor. He found, he found unearned merit given to him by the grace of God. Romans 3, 10 and 12 says, As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one, not even Noah. There is none that understands, there is none that seeketh God. They are all gone out of the way. They are together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good, no, not one. 
And even Hebrews 11, verse 7, it says this, By faith, Noah, being warned of God, of things not seen. It doesn't say by works, Noah. It said by faith, Noah, being warned of God, of things not seen, as yet, moves with fear, prepared an ark to the saving of his house, by the which he condemned the world and became the heir of righteousness, which is by faith. Righteousness comes by faith, not by works. It never comes by works. It never did. Not in the Old Testament. It wasn't by keeping the law. It was by faith. Each and every time. Abraham, by faith. Noah, by faith. Every, Jacob, by faith. All of them, by faith. Because they weren't perfect. Noah was not sinless, or it would not have been grace. 11. The earth was... The earth was also corrupt before God. Man's influence had ruined and destroyed even the land. So that violence was filled the land and, and even the land was being destroyed. And in verse 12, God tells Noah that he sees the violence that's filling the earth. He says, I'm going to destroy it. And then you get to 6, 14 to 22. God gives Noah instructions to build an ark. Um, he gives them instructions to gather the animals, the seven clean. And, excuse me, some said that could have been seven pairs. I'm not sure. Um, and two pairs of the unclean. But he, he gives them the instructions. And to take food of all that is eaten. And Noah obeys. Noah hears the warning. Noah fears the Lord. And he obeys. We move on. And you guys know this story. You really don't need me to tell you, but... We move on. God invites Noah to enter into the ark with all the animals in, in chapter 7. It says, And the Lord said unto Noah, Come thou and all thy house into the ark, for thee have I seen righteous before me in this generation. Noah built the ark, and yet God was the one who invited him in. Does that make you think of anything? Seven verse seven it says, And Noah and his family and all the animals and birds entered the ark a week before the flood, before the rain began. And if we go to seven verse sixteen, we're moving along quickly through this part. It says, And they went in, male and female, all flesh of all flesh as God had commanded him, and the Lord shut him in. The Lord shut him in. The Lord sealed it up. The Lord closed the door. Noah didn't close the door. Noah didn't restrict anybody else from coming in. God shut the door. And God shut Noah in safely. And that was the end of it. And then it says the flood came. Seventeen says, and the flood came. It was on the earth. Um, and the flood was forty days upon the earth, and the waters increased and bared up the ark and it was lifted up above the earth, and the waters prevailed and were increased greatly upon the earth, and the ark went up upon the face of the waters, and the waters prevailed exceedingly upon the earth, and all the high hills that were under the whole heaven were covered up. Fifteen cubits upward did the waters prevail, and the mountains were covered. Plenty of spot to swim if you're a swimmer. I don't think you can keep it up for long enough, though. Fifteen cubits. 
Now, we know the cubit nowadays, that's three 18 inches. But if there are giants in the land, and I'm thinking the giants are probably the kings, well, the cubit could have been much bigger than that. So at least 15, 15 cubits was at least 22 and a half feet. It could have been more, depending on whose cubit you were using to measure. You have a big guy as the king, the cubit could have been much more. But it's at least 22 feet. And Noah's on that ark um, for a year and a week. And chapter 8, we get to chapter 8, it says, And God dries the earth, and Noah comes out of the ark, and his family, and all the earth, the birds and the animals. It says, And God remembered Noah and everything. Do you think God had forgotten? Do you think <laughs> Noah's out there floating on these rough seas and got, oh, no. God wasn't thinking about him. I don't think that's what that meant. But it says, and God remembered Noah and every living thing and all the cattle that was with him in the ark. And God made a wind to pass over the earth and the waters assaged. So Noah and all the animals, eventually in time, I mean, we, we know the story where he sends out the, the raven and the, and the dove. And we know that story. But eventually Noah comes off the ark. Um, and God makes a promise to Noah. At that point in time, he promises seasons. Seasons will not end. Summer and winter, spring and fall, harvest and, and planting, um, and day and night. He said those things will not end as long as the earth remains. We have this theory nowadays that climate change is going to goof it all up and everything's going to go haywire. And God says, no, I've, I've kept it in order by my word. And he's promised us that. We're going to go to chapter 9. And God blesses Noah and his family. And he tells them to be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth. And he also promised to never again destroy the whole earth with a flood. Giving them a symbol in the sky after every rain of a bow. Um, Genesis 9, 15 to 17, it says, God said, when a rainbow is seen in the clouds... He looks at it and remembers the covenant that he made with us. We're looking at it from down here, but he says he looks down on it and he remembers the covenant that he made. Like I said, I, I looked at this stuff. I thought, man, if Jesus talked about it and if Jesus said, as it was in the days of Noah, I wanted to look at what this was like. Jesus says in Luke 17, 26 and 27, and as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be in the days of the Son of Man. They did eat, they drank, they married wives and were given in marriage until the day that Noah entered into the ark and the floods came and destroyed them all. Well, that seems like pretty normal lifestyle. Isn't that what we see when we go out and about? People do their jobs. The weekend's all about for themselves. It's, in fact, I have a, a cousin that's, man, I live for the weekend, so I can sit back, have my glass of wine, drink till I'm out of it, and enjoy myself, and then the week starts up again, and I go through it all again, and wait for next weekend where I can do it all over again. Without a thought of God is really how people are living. I thought about that. Plus all the violence that they were, they were engaged in in those days. Um, Jesus goes on to say, likewise. Likewise. So these days of Noah, 
likewise as it was also in the days of Lot. They did eat and drank. They bought, they sold, they planted, they built. But the same day that Lot went out of Sodom and Gomorrah, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. Now Jesus is connecting Sodom and Gomorrah with the days of Noah. And he's saying, you know what? It's not just business as usual. It's not just, you know what, marriages and they're not really giving me a thought. Sodom and Gomorrah makes it so much worse. Sodom and Gomorrah makes it so, so, so much worse in our minds. Um, Even thus shall it be, Jesus goes on to say, in the day when the Son of Man is revealed. In that day, he which shall be on the housetop and his stuff in the house, let him not come down to take it away. And he that is in the field, let him not likewise return back. Remember Lot's wife. Whosoever shall seek to save his life shall lose it. And whosoever shall lose his life shall preserve it. I tell you that in the night there shall be two men in one bed. And one shall be taken, the other left. Two women shall be grinding together, together, the one taken and the other left. Two men shall be in the field, the one taken and the other left. And they answered him, Lord, where? He said unto them, Wheresoever the body is, thither will the eagles be gathered together. Just before we go on from there, I, I was looking at those, and it says where, where two men are in one bed, that word man can mean people. It can mean people. It doesn't necessarily have to mean the worst that we can think. But if you think about that, the Lord's return and one is taken, and one, so I have sworn that I would not be wroth or re, with thee or rebuke thee. Second Peter 3, 3 to 7 says this, knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days scoffers walking after their own lusts and saying, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. For this they are willingly ignorant of, that that by the word of God the heavens were of old and the earth standing out of the water and in the water, whereby the world that then was being overflowed with water perished. But the heavens and the earth, which are now by the same word kept in store, reserved unto fire against the day of judgment and the perdition of ungodly men. God said there's another day coming. There's another judgment coming. And it's not going to be with a flood. I was thinking about the world we live in. And I was thinking, oh, what's it look like for us? What does our world look like? And then I thought, you know what? And then I think about um, the beginnings, and I think about that whole situation. In the United States, from 1973 to 2020, every year, the statistics say that there was just under a million abortions. So, for instance, in 1973, there were 744,000. And then it grew to 1990, where there was 1.6 million abortions. And now it's kind of dwindled back to being 930,000. That's in the States. In Canada, we don't have as many people. It's not quite so bad. So I, 
and I only look from, from 2011 to 2020. 2011, it was 108,844. 2020, 91,155. In Canada now, we have the legal choice to end your life, right? When you get old, you don't, or not even old, I mean, you may feel depressed. You can go to a doctor, you can say, hey, you doc, I want to end it, legal. And of course, this July 4th, you've heard of the Sound of Freedom movie that was out, where, where um, Tim Ballard, who's been fighting against this child trafficking and, and that whole thing that's going on. And then I thought about even in our own little village here, the battles and the struggles that we've had with, with the ones coming against the church and, and that whole issue. I don't want to say too much about that, but you, you know where I'm, where I'm thinking. This account of Noah shows us how before the holy God, sin, both small and great, is severe. It doesn't go unnoticed. It doesn't go unseen. And it will be dealt with wholly and completely. Um, the account of Noah and the flood shows us that a loving, redemptive plan of God to make a way of escape to escape the wrath of, on sin. The story of the flood shows us the patience of God. How many of us would give you 120 years of a chance to get on the ark? You know what it doesn't say? The pre preaching of Noah, it doesn't ever say, turn around. You notice that? There's, there's nowhere in the, in the story of Noah where he's out there saying, repent. The only way out is to get on board the ark. I, I noticed that this time through. I didn't notice that before. You don't see Noah pleading with men to change their lives. The only way out is to get on that ark. And I thought, that's, that's kind of interesting. That's kind of interesting. Um, then, then also, I, and I already said this, but it was God who shut the door, closing Noah in. And I thought, that's kind of cool. That's kind of cool. It was God who did that, not nobody else. God was in control of that. In John 10, 20, John 10 uh, 7 and 9, it says, then, Jesus, then said Jesus unto them again, verily, verily I say unto you, I am the door of the sheep. All that ever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. By me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved and shall go in and out and find pasture. There was only one way into the ark. There was only one door on that vessel. Vessel. You went in, the door was shut. When they came out later on, it was only that one door. And Jesus said, I am the only one door. There's no other way to the Father. There's no amount of good works that you can do. It's only by him. Which made me start the question. Um, what do we look like in our generation? Would God find us to be just people? Righteous in our generation. Would call, God call on us to be the preachers of righteousness to ge our generation? Well, I think he has. I think he has. Are we living, preparing for the return of the Lord? Or have we become numbed, thinking that, you know what, it's ways off. It's way off. As soon as you start saying that the Lord's return is, is 
close, we think in our minds that means it's even farther away, oftentimes. Um, are you trusting in the way that God has prepared? He's promised to never again judge the world with a flood, but he has promised that he would judge it with fire. This morning as I was listening to Dave, I thought of this fact, and I said it too. Um, God didn't ask the people of Noah to do anything other than get on board the provision that he was providing, the ark. The only way out was to get on board. Um, another thought that came to mind is Noah was called a preacher of righteousness in Second Peter 2, verse 5. And yet, no one in that generation listened to him. You ever notice that? He's a preacher of righteousness, and no one gave him a thought, save the daughters-in-law, all right? And his family. His family, he was an influence on his family, but nobody else. I think that's interesting. Lot, on the other hand, because Jesus connects the two together, Lot lived close to the city. He lived among the people, and, and the scriptures say he was, he was vexed by, he was bothered by their actions of the people in that city. It does say that. In the end, though, he was so close to the city, he had to be yanked out of the city by angels. And he couldn't get through to his son-in-laws. He never got through to them. In fact, when he, when he was warning them, they laughed and mocked him. Like, you're, you're a crazy man. Um, and even his wife was lost when, he, when she looked back. I was thinking about all this stuff. Can you imagine Noah's life? Noah's life. I mean, he was 500 years old when his sons were born. Some would say Noah still had it. I said, that's pretty late to find it. <laughs> um, and 600 years old when the flood came. Can you imagine those early years of those sons coming along with Daddy to work? Like, Daddy, what are you doing? Well, I'm building an ark. Daddy, what's an ark? Well, it's where we're going to live. What's it for? Well, it's, it's for you and your mother and I to live in. Why is it so big? Well, we're going to take all the animals with us, both unclean and clean, there's so many. I mean, he would explain that to them. Where are we going? Because you said we're going to take them. Where are we going? Well, and how is it that we're going to go anywhere with that thing? <sighs> and Noah would say, it's going to float. Daddy, where are you going to get the water to float it? And that thing's huge. God's going to flood the earth and all the wicked people will die. Daddy, are we wicked? Are we going to die? Not when we're inside the ark. John 14, verse 6 says this, Jesus said unto them, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Um, and 2 Timothy 1, verse 9 says, who has saved us and called us by a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began. Ephesians 1 verse 7 says, In whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. 
tonight, I, I, just, I, I can't stress it enough, and I, I think this is the, the urging of everybody who's ever stood up here and wanted to say anything to you. If you don't know the Lord tonight, tonight, to know him, to figure out who he is and what he's done for you. I, I think of this, and I, so often it said, I can't promise you tomorrow. You know what? I can't even promise you you'll be able to get out of the pew. That's the honest truth of it. There's no promise of life beyond this moment. And yet Jesus says, now is the acceptable time. Now is the day of salvation. If you've heard his voice, don't put it off. It's the same as when I chatted with Uncle Henry. It really is. God wants to hear you cry out to him. He doesn't want anything more than that. He wants you to come to him in, in repentance and, and to make your way right with him. And that can only be done through the blood of Jesus Christ who died on the cross for you. That is the urgent call today. Um, he longs for you. And even now, he cries out for you to come.